Hey, I'm attorney Peter Olson, uh, Chicago Family Law Group. Welcome to Third Thursday, Lunch and a Divorce Lawyer. Thanks for joining us. Uh, this month, we're really excited actually for the first time in what, the year to 14 months of doing these, um, we have an exciting guest. So you don't just have to listen to me, you know, spouting off about different family law issues and, um, and such. And I mean, it's just great to have another voice and, a, and a, an expertise uh, that I don't have, which um, I mean, I know enough to be dangerous. I know enough how to spot a few issues related to family law and immigration. But when I really need somebody who can actually, you know, be an expert and help somebody, uh, I call Christine Contreras, who's, uh, I don't know, I think we've known each other for 10-ish years. It's been a while. I remember where we met. I don't remember exactly when it was. But um, I appreciate your friendship and your expertise, Christine. And thank you for, for jumping on here for 15 to 30 minutes or whatever whatever we take to talk no about immigration and family law. Thanks for having me on. Because um, I know we walk into just a, a lot of intersection between those two areas. I mean, I, in my world, uh, when I think of like what comes up, right, as a divorce and child custody attorney, like on side issues. To me, it's the occasional real estate issue, um, maybe some small business thing, and, and then it's it's immigration related stuff. Like those two or three are the ones I'm running into all the time. So, you know, I appreciate, you know, knowing some, some people with expertise in the area. Um, can we start just talking about this? And, and right, I'm, I'm sort of the layperson in immigration and it's right when I'm when I'm talking to a new client and I'm you know maybe maybe a prospective client of ours is not a U.S. citizen or they are what they have a green card or a conditional green card and I don't even know what all these terms mean necessarily but what should sort of I as an attorney or just uh, just the average person facing a potential divorce be kind of like thinking about vis-a-vis -vis immigration citizenship status issues, Christine? Well, definitely, I think you as an attorney should be taking note of what that person's status is, right? Like, do they have a 10-year green card? Are they a citizen of the United States? Are they a conditional resident? Um, do they hold some sort of status through their spouse, whether it's through, you know, some type of work visa or something like that, because all of those things can affect, you know, what happens in the course of the case, depending on what the issues are and, you know, what's going to be the end result. So I think all of those things need to be taken into consideration and looked at so that you know you know, how this person might be affected by a divorce. You Could you define that term? Because I, I hear it used and I use it and I probably don't know it. The um, Did you say conditional green card holder? What does that exactly mean? Conditional resident. So Conditional resident. Yes. So you'll see a green card that says like CR. So what that means is that that person, when they got their green card, married to their U.S. citizen spouse or legal permanent resident spouse for less than two years. So essentially, 
it's immigration saying, okay, we believe that this is a valid and good faith marriage, but in two years, we want you to file a subsequent application called the petition to remove the conditions on residence and show us that you're still residing together, you still have bank accounts together, you still have credit together, you have children, you have insurances, all of the things that they consider to be proof of a good faith and bona fide marriage. I see. Um, uh, yeah, no, I'm definitely, so let's go down that road a little bit more. So, um, so I'm a US citizen and my spouse is, I, I'm just playing it out just because is um, a non-US citizen. I don't know, we got married in Mexico City or something and now I came to Chicago. Um, and then is- a green card application for her? Pardon? And you filed a green card application for her? Yes. Okay. I don't know what I'm talking about, but so then <laughs> is, is my spouse then going to start to then, is that the person who is now a, a, a conditional resident? Well, you have to go through a whole process okay. to get to the conditional resident part, right? Okay. So normally what happens is I think there's a huge misconception too, that when someone marries a citizen, that that person automatically has status or automatically becomes a green card holder or something like that. That is not true at all. Like there's okay. a whole process that you have to go through. So essentially, like let's say in the case of someone who's a U.S. citizen marries someone who came to the U.S. on a visa, who overstayed, so they entered lawfully, they're going to do a process called adjustment of status. That's adjusting that person's status from essentially no status as an overstay to a green card holder. You'll I fill see. out a bunch of forms. You have to submit a whole bunch of documents to show that it's a real marriage, to show that you warrant a green card. And then also the U.S. citizen petitioner has to submit what's called an affidavit of support. So essentially the government needs to know that someone is going to take care of this immigrant here in the United States and that they're not going to depend on the government to live here. So right. the petitioner needs to show that they earn what's called the Federal Poverty Guideline and that they will be able to support that immigrating spouse. If they're not able to, they can get a co-sponsor that will have to show that they can support that person, but someone has to be able to show that they can support that person. If they can't, they're not gonna give them a green card. Okay. Okay, um, so that's a huge thing for family law because that's a contractual obligation. The petitioner is saying, I am going to support this person. And in that document, it says that you have to support them until that person becomes a US citizen, until they have 40 quarters of work through the Social Security Administration, until that person either is no longer a legal permanent resident, like they got deported or they left the United States, or the immigrant or the sponsor dies. So this contractual obligation surpasses a lot of milestones, you know? Right, right. I wanna definitely talk a little bit more about that affidavit support. Could we go down just another track or two just yeah. on sort of length of marriage even before we go there though? Yeah. What happens to, um, I'm, I guess I'm just playing down my little hypothetical. Um, I, I, 
Well, I, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds because I don't understand those weeds that well. But <laughs> simple thing that I run into right a lot as a family law attorney is somebody's filing for divorce really fast, right? Less than two years. Mm -hmm. And, and they're a conditional resident, I think is the verbiage you used. Right. Um, now, where am I if I'm that conditional resident and, and my husband or wife is filing for that divorce after a year or whatever? What, uh, what should I right. be concerned that if, if that happens and, and what yeah, to do? Definitely. So you should be concerned because like I mentioned before, if you are a conditional resident, 90 days before the two-year anniversary of having your conditional residency, you have to file another petition with immigration. And it should be with your spouse, but obviously things happen, divorces happen, and you know things happen to a marriage and it breaks down and so forth. So if you have your conditional residence and your spouse files for divorce shortly after or you do, you have to understand that there's still going to have to be some sort of submission to immigration. So as because you won't be with your spouse anymore, there are other options to filing that I, it's called an I-751 petition to remove the conditions on residency. So you are able to file that on your own by requesting what they call a waiver. And then that waiver is based on the fact that you entered into the marriage in good faith, but it was terminated by divorce. And also there is another for showing that you would suffer extreme hardship if you were deported. There's another waiver option for showing that you've been subjected to uh, extreme cruelty by your spouse. So again, that's kind of where the divorce comes into play as well, you know, because the grounds for divorce and the language that's used in the divorce decree and the judgment and so forth could help your immigration case as well. I see. So if, 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 if the marriage is dissolved less than two years, you need to figure out one of these waiver situations to get into. And is one of them, again, speaking a little bit ignorantly, but with some experience, um, is one of them some form of domestic violence has occurred in that period that causes a breakdown? Or that's one at least I hear, and I, I hear attorneys kind of put some verbiage in divorce judgments and such. Right, so what immigration is looking for was that the marriage was entered into into good faith, but that that person has been subjected to extreme cruelty. Okay, so that's what I'm thinking. So that, those are the magic immigration words. Okay. Yeah. And um, if you get past the two years, I don't know, you're divorced in year four or five or whatever, you're past, I guess, that whatever you termed that two-year hearing, right. are you kind of, then you're at least into a 10-year permanent resident situation, right? right? Yes, and you don't have to file that petition to remove the conditions. So I see. if you've gotten your green card for 10 years, then a divorce isn't going to affect your immigration status moving forward. Like okay, that was my understanding. Yeah. Um, what happens if, uh, I don't know, your, your things are breaking down right at the time of that, that two-year filing? And hey, now I don't want to cooperate with uh, with Mrs. Olson, my uh, my spouse. Right. What do you do? 
get somebody yeah. else? I think at that point, well, so what happens a lot of times is these petitions take about a year to be adjudicated. So what happens a lot of times is that the people will file it jointly. And then during that time, something will happen with the marriage, right? Or one of the parties will seek a divorce. So that's when you have to decide, okay, at this point, am I going to request a waiver and submit that at that point? Like there's still options available. I see. Yes. And okay, that's that's great information because uh, yeah, that, those those are the ones that I uh, I run into and always kind of like do a double take on. Um, the affidavit of support is me again. I'm just kind of using my hypo. Mm -hmm. Is right. me committing to? Did you say about forty months? What is that? No, three no, and a half no. years. Pardon? No, it's until the person becomes a citizen. So that what was the 40 months? 40 quarters. 40 quarters. My mistake. Yeah. Forgive me. I wrote down 40 months. Yeah, no, 40, 40 quarters quarter. that you work through the Social Security. That, that's 10 years. Oh, yeah, wow. that's 10 years. Exactly. So right in my world, you think of a short-term marriage. I get divorced at three years. Right leaving aside immigration issues. And I think your maintenance, right? Your alimony obligation under Illinois maintenance is, what is it? Three times like 0.2 or 20% of three years, give or take. Um, so, but if this were the immigration included issue, now basically that kind of like trumps Illinois maintenance law. Is that a yeah, fair kind of way to put it? They look at them sort of separately. They're like your alimony maintenance situation is this and your affidavit of support immigration sustenance is this. You okay. know, so they're both part of the divorce. But just huh. because you're paying maintenance for that specific amount of time doesn't mean that you won't be paying any support beyond that based on this affidavit of support. Now, uh, is that then something, I mean, I guess, right, and, you know, it depends what a case, you know, I'm, I'm trying to act on my client's best interest, depending on which side of it I'm on. If I have the person who needs the support, mm -hmm. or, or, you know, if I'm the, the non-U.S. citizen now right. who's basically getting hit with a divorce at, you know, year one, mm -hmm. am I trying to get that 40 quarters somehow into the divorce judgment? Because just like, the immigration process doesn't really have, do they have an enforcement mechanism on that affidavit of support? No, but it basically, to the spouse? Says, it basically says that a suit can be, fought, be brought in any state or federal court. So it is definitely an enforceable contractual obligation. And there's actually case law in Illinois that states that as well. Okay. Yeah. But then, but, but, but through what though? Is it, is it, you know, like how somebody actually enforcing it? I mean, it's through a divorce case, right? Um, it is through a divorce case. So essentially what, um, it's a contract between the sponsor and the government essentially. So um, the immigrant can sue the sponsor if they fail to provide the support that they are supposed to provide per that affidavit of support. Okay. So that's where it gets brought into play during the divorce proceedings. Got it. Um, well, thank you for 
yeah, the, that expertise. The only other thing I had written down was, I mean, I always kind of get triggered just immigration um, issues in a in a case where domestic violence is involved, and sometimes with children. Mm-hmm. Um, is that an issue, sort of like the special immigrant juvenile status or things like that? Or what are some triggers in the more of the domestic violence order of protection area? Um, I mean, those can come into play in a, in a number of different ways, right? Like orders of protection can come into play like in the UBISA context, which is for victims of crimes. Um, then domestic violence just in general, if let's say that person never got status during the marriage and now they're getting divorced and now they want to try to get status based on being a victim of domestic violence, then that might be a different option for that person as well. So, I mean, that person's status at the time of the divorce, you know, where they're at, if they have any type of immigration proceeding, all of those things will kind of determine what those next steps will be for an immigration matter. But, you know, people should definitely speak to, a lot of times I tell clients who tell me like, oh, I'm in the middle of a divorce right now and, you know, they want to hire me. I was like, right. let me talk to your family law attorney so we can be on the same page because I, as an immigration law attorney, want to make sure that that divorce, you know, any of those divorce documents have correct dates in them, like dates of separation, um, that it has the correct language that I need, like you were talking about in regards to domestic violence or extreme cruelty, you know, things like that. So I want to make sure that your proceedings and pleadings are going to supplement what I'm going to do and not conflict. I see. Um, are you seeing, um, do, uh, do family law attorneys or judges kind of know what they're doing here or it's all over the board? Cause I feel like sometimes I'll get some pushback from judges when you, when you try to put some of that, let's call it immigration magic language into judgments or what do yeah. you see? Um, I mean, I haven't been in a family court, you know, courtroom in quite a while. Yeah. So I can't really say like what's happening there, but I think a lot of people do not know about this enforcement option of the affidavit of support. You know, I think they think, okay, once we're divorced, we're free of this person, but in actuality, that's not how it works. But I don't think that the immigrant knows either. So, you know, right. people are just kind of leaving it how it is because nobody really knows. Right. Okay. Well, um, yeah, why don't, if you don't mind, Christine, why don't we leave it there? And um, let me ask you this, uh, give us a website for people watching this where they can find you if they need direct immigration help, because I think you're, you're a good resource for people and obviously potential clients. Okay. Thank you. Um, My website is ccontrerasLaw.com. So it's C, another C, O N T R E R A S L A W.com. And my phone number is 773 478 0372. So you can usually reach me through my website or by phone, by email. I'm pretty easy to reach.
I mean, your Google My Business rating is 5.0. You must yeah. be excellent. <laughs> hey, I'm yeah. just saying it's hard. Uh, ours is in 5.0. People are much less unhappy at the end of, or much less happy at the end of a divorce. <laughs> but I mean, you do a great job. So um, what is sort of, uh, you know, who, who, who is your typical, like, who are your two sweet, sweet, sweet spot clients? Or, you know, just, you know, I hear immigration, like I hear of other attorneys, hey, I represent businesses and these people working right. at Microsoft and blah, right. blah, blah. So what, um, what's kind of the typical person who's calling you, you or her, who you can really serve best? Yeah, so I do what's called family-based immigration. So when someone marries someone, either who entered lawfully or unlawfully, I help adjust their status, get them a green card. Um, I do visas for victims of crimes. They're called U visas. I do VAWA, which is the uh, victims of domestic violence. And you are married to a resident or a citizen. I do citizenship cases. I do DACA, you know, the deferred action for the childhood arrivals, the dreamers. Right. Those types of applications. So basically, if you're trying to bring any type of family member or keep family member in the United States, that's what I do. Okay. So individuals are your clients, the, yes. the person, not a, not, not a business. I do family-based immigration. I got it. Yeah, I was good. So is this person a potential client of yours? Because seriously, I've gotten like three calls from former clients in the last six months. And it's basically, here's the picture. Is this a potential case for you? Um, a, a guy we represented, and this is multiple, but I'm just using it singular. Mm -hmm. Gentlemen, we represented in a divorce, got divorced six years ago, ballpark, you know, half a dozen, eight years ago. And now he's calling us because he wants a copy of his divorce judgment because he's he's getting remarried to um, the one I'm thinking of is a woman who I think is a resident of the Philippines. Okay. Right. And I, I'm assuming that he, honestly, I, I, I just said, hey, here, I think his name was Mike. Here's your divorce judgment. And we will happy to get that for you. But then, you know, I think, right, that's a typical case you would deal with, because I think that's yeah. kind of a popular thing I see with like remarriage, older, yeah. older remarriage situations. Yeah. I've seen that more than once from former clients of, of ours. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks again, um, Christine. And um, yeah, appreciate you and appreciate you jumping on our, uh, our third Thursday lunch and a divorce <laughs> lawyer. No problem. Thanks for having me. Bye. All right. Bye.